received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and we're thankful for that. But they, my dad took care of my dog, so I'm sure my dog is, is having fits right now. But usually she's curled up under a couch and shaking. But uh, most people think that July 4th is fireworks and barbecues, but it does us good to remember the reason for the holidays. Just as we say at Christmas time that he's the reason for the season, the reason we celebrate July 4th is the independence that this country has. And uh, it, it, it starts, and I, I know that's a bad thing to say because if you know your history, it really started before then. But for, for most of us, it's that July 4th, 1776 Declaration of Independence that was penned by some of our forefathers. Let me read to you just the first paragraph and the last paragraph. I know some of you haven't looked at this since you were in uh, high school or maybe college, but it says in the first paragraph, the unanimous declaration of the 13 uh, United States of America. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. It goes on to list all of the things that these 13 United States of America had issues with the government of Great Britain. And then it ends in this. It says, We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled and appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally Dissolved, and that as a free and independent state, they have the power, the full power, to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all the other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with the firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, I, I do have a purpose for reading that, and we'll get there. But I think every once in a while, we just need to remember where we are and the blessings we have. Patrick Henry, the one that said, give me liberty or give me death, he said this. He said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly, nor too often, that this great nation was not founded on religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody tell you that our forefathers were not Christians. Don't ever let them tell you uh, and, and spin it. You can read it in their own words, such as George Washington's farewell address to the nation. He said this, Do not let anyone claim tribute of American patriotism if they even attempt to remove religion from politics. President Thomas Jefferson in an address to the Danbury Baptists said this, The First Amendment has created a wall of separation between the church and the state, but that wall is a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that Christian principles shall always stay in government. 
John Adams penned this. We have no government armed with the power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made for a moral and religious people and it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. We are a blessed nation. There's a lot of problems and I could spend a lot of time to tell you that. A lot of problems we have. But I am thankful that we serve a a country that was founded on this. The Pledge of Allegiance was written in 1892 by a minister by the name of Francis Bellamy. He had published it in a a magazine called The Youth's Companion on September the 8th, 1892, and he did hope that one day it would become a pledge for all of the citizens of the country. It originally read this way, I pledge allegiance to my flag, and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. In 1923, however, the words, to, the, the words were added, the flag of the United States of America. And so at that point it read, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. But those of you, in fact, it was the year that my father was born in 1954. Some of you that, that can go back to that, remember the, the grip uh, that, that communism and the threat of communism began to have upon the known world. And it was during that time in response to the threats of communism uh, that President Eisenhower encouraged the Congress to add uh, two words, under God. And it reads this. In fact, I think it would be good for us simply to stand, especially because of those two words. And you could help me say the Pledge of Allegiance with those two words added. It simply says this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You can be seated. Those two words under God mean so much. A few years ago, I preached an entire message about what it means to be under God, to be under His authority, to be under His rule, but also to be under His blessings, to be under His mercy, to be under His grace and His goodness. But I'm not going to talk much about the the citizenship that I have here in the United States. And uh, as I have been able, and not, not a lot, but I've been able to travel across this the oceans and go to other countries I am thankful that my passport says United States I'm very thankful for that but if you have your Bibles I'm not going to read it verbatim but I I just like you to kind of follow along with me just simply because it probably sparked something in you maybe you could write something in the margins but uh, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 21 I'm going to start the story in Acts chapter 21 and verse 27 and by the time we get done, we'll be in Acts chapter 22 and verse 29. And I want to I lay out a story. I was reading it. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, we've got other ministers that are here in the building, those that have uh, helped craft sermons or lessons. And, and uh, there are times that the Lord will just, I mean, give me a whole sermon front to back, just lay it down. The only thing he didn't do is write it. Then there's other times that it, it comes from study. It comes, the, the, the sermon and the message comes from being in the Word of God. But there are some times that I will sit uh, at my table or at my desk and say, Lord, show me, help me learn, let me guide. And I was drawn to this passage. I was just reading it to read it. 
And there were two words that jumped out that we'll get to in a moment that will be the, the crux of my, my sermon. But the story that begins in Acts chapter 21 and verse 27 is the story of Paul. Paul is, it was a, a prolific traveler, evangelist, missionary of this new found Christian apostolic thing. This day of Pentecost and everything that was birthed there. Uh, it, it first started with Peter and Peter kept going. But it first started with Peter and in Jerusalem to the Jews. and Then it spread under uh, Peter to the Gentiles. But then Paul was, was uh, uh, saved there on that Damascus road and that vision that he had. And it brought that gospel away from Judea, away from Samaria and began to go into the uttermost parts of the world. Here it is that now uh, he is there and it says, In the seven days were almost completed, these Jews from Asia saw him in the temple, this is Jerusalem, and they stirred up the whole crowd and they laid their hands on Paul. Now they were, they, they got, it became a mob mentality, very similar to what Jesus went through in his time. They lay their hands on Paul and they begin to cry. I mean, they are saying, hey everybody, this man is teaching everyone against the people and against the law in this place. He even brought Gentiles into the temple and defiled this holy place. And it, it, it's not true. Yes, Paul had Gentiles with him, but Paul would never have desecrated uh, the, 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 the customs of the Jews in that sense. The whole city was stirred up. They ran together. They seized Paul. They drug him out of the temple, and when the gates were shut, they were going to kill him. They were ready. It was mob mentality. They were going to lynch him. They were going to stone him, whatever they could do. Of course, that was illegal as well. No Jew, uh, no, no Jewish law could kill someone. It had to come from the Romans. You see that in Jesus' own death and trials. But as all of this riot, for lack of a better word, is happening, someone goes and tells the tribune or the cohort uh, there in Jerusalem, that's the, the Roman soldiers and those that are tasked with keeping watch over Jerusalem, they go and tell him, they said that all of Jerusalem was in confusion, a riot's happening. And them Roman soldiers, they suit up and they go out and they begin to find. And as they get there to the court, they see this mob beating Paul and they put a stop to it. They drag Paul away and, and Paul is arrested. He's put in chains and he's dragged off to their jail. They think uh, that they're, they're trying to figure out what's happening and you can only imagine, I don't know if any of you have ever been at a chaotic scene of, of maybe something like that and everybody's shouting, I saw this and I saw that and the stories aren't matching up and you can't hardly get a, a, you know, a direction one way or the other. And so finally because of the uproar, the, the, the centurion says, let's go back to the barracks so I can figure out this uh, uh, how it is. The crowd was so violent, the Bible says. The crowd was so crazy that they literally picked Paul up and carried him because he couldn't walk fast enough in the chains and he was getting beat as they went. He was brought into the barracks and right as he got to the steps of the barracks, he asked the centurion, he says, can I say something to this crowd? And he spoke to the centurion there in, in Greek and, and that kind of shocked the centurion. He thought he was just some ragtag Jewish, uh, you know, no good person and he could, couldn't believe that he knew Greek and he thought, actually he thought, for the Bible says he thought he might have even been an Egyptian that had recently stirred up a revolt there in Jerusalem and 
So all of this was going on, and Paul said, no, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus in Sicily. I'm a citizen of no obscure city, and I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And so Paul stands on the, the, the steps of that barrack and begins to speak in Hebrew now, and he tells his testimony, and that you can find there starting in chapter, or in verse 1 in chapter 22. He tells the whole story. He tells about how Paul had been, uh, you know, sent by the Jewish rulers to stop this newfound Christianity. And, and he had letters that would allow him to put people in jail and persecute them and maybe even uh, condemn them to death. And he saw all of that. And then he goes on to tell about his conversion there on the road of Damascus. He tells about everything that happened, the light that came down, the blindness, the voice that, that, uh, from the Lord that spoke, that was Jesus speaking to him. He talked about how when he was blind, he was led to Damascus and met Ananias, a devout brother, and, and who, who allowed and prayed for him, and he received his sight, and then he was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He was baptized, and how he was uh, began to, to reach the people, and then it was told of him, you need to leave Jerusalem and you need to reach the world. As Paul begins to tell his testimony, and some of you that have a testimony, you may have seen this in your own life. People are okay to hear your testimony up until a certain point. And when Paul began to turn from his testimony to, to what you need to do in order to be saved, that crowd turned against him, and they were ready to kill him. They started throwing off their coats. They were throwing dust in the air. They were probably whizzing rocks by Paul's head. And so finally, that tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And, that, and by this time, that tribune's pretty upset. He's been in a dangerous situation. He, he has had to deal with a, a mob, a crowd that doesn't like him. And his, you know, he's up there and he says, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to figure this out. And so he commanded Paul to be whipped. The Bible says in verse 24 of chapter 22, that as he was, or verse 25 rather, he was stretched out for the whips. They put him on that whipping post or whatever it was that they did. and He had his hands in one and he was stretched out. That old soldier uh, pulled out that whip and was measuring the distance so he could get just the right snap of that whip. Paul had allowed all of this to go forth. And If you look at verse 25, it says, When they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion that was standing by, he said, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Now, this is these things in the Bible that we just kind of read over. and like, oh, that's part of the story. That's cool. But I want you to look very carefully at the next verse of, of Acts chapter uh, 22 and verse 26. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune that was over him and said to him, What are you to do about this? This man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to Paul, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, Yes. And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. There was some bribery going on. Anytime politics are involved, there's always loopholes. There's always a way to get around it. And somewhere, the, this tribune who was not born a Roman, who was not born in that, somewhere perhaps he had found an immigration official and he was able to slip some money. And he was able to get documents and citizenship papers that granted him the rights of a citizen. 
And that, that tribune was kind of proud of it. He said, I bought this. I want you to look very carefully at the way what Paul responded. Paul just simply looked at him and he said, but I am a citizen by birth. The King James that you see right here, I was reading the English Standard Version. The King James says, but I was free born. Or what you and I would say in common English, but I was born free. I was born free. And so instantly they withdrew. Instantly they realized they had crossed a line. The tribune was afraid because Paul had been a Roman citizen. And as such, as a citizen of Rome, he was afforded a rights. He was afforded things that those that were not citizens would have had. I like Paul's response. I was born free. I was born a citizen of Rome. I don't know all of Paul's history. I would have to assume that his father was a citizen of Rome. That that this was not someone that immigrated in. He was at least a second generation citizen of Rome. Can I just talk to you for a moment about being born free? The Bible says, 1 Peter 1.18, you know this. In fact, I've, I've preached it over the last couple of, of uh, uh, services on Wednesday night. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like a lamb without blemish or spot, he was before known from the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last days for your sake. The King James says that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. I can stand here today behind this pulpit and tell you this. I didn't buy my way into the citizenship of heaven. I didn't buy my way into salvation. There was no bribe that I could give. There was no backdoor access to this. But I am here today because of who my father is. My father is in heaven and I am his son. I have received that adoption. I've been bought with a price. I've been born again. I can stand with Paul and say in the kingdom of heaven, I am free born. And there's something about that to stand there and say it's not by something I have done. It's not by my righteousness I stand. Isaiah prophesied that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good tidings to the meat, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the open of the prisoning of the prison of them that are bound. Luke begins to record that Jesus steps there into the synagogue, opens up that scroll of Isaiah 61, and he says this, and and he begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal up the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus rolled up that scroll, and he just simply said, This day, Has that been fulfilled? I'm the one, he says. Jesus said, I'm the one that's going to release the captive. I'm the one that's going to heal the brokenhearted. Not everybody understood that. John chapter 8 records an entire diatribe, an entire uh, proceedings that goes forth where Jesus was talking to to the Jews. He said to the Jews that believed on him, If you continue in my words, you're my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Oh, that messed them Jews up. 
They said, uh, we are of Abraham's seed, and we've never been in bondage to any man. How do you say you're going to make us free? In your life, have you ever talked to someone that as they were talking, you did everything you could to quit laughing at them because they're just stupid? You ever done that? I don't know how any other way to say it. You're just looking at them going, man, you are stupid. Here's this chew, and, and you can just see it. I, I can see it in my head. They puffed up, and they said, Aha, we are of Abraham's seed. We have never been in bondage to any man. Okay? Do the 400 years in uh, Egypt count as bondage? Because I kind of think y'all are being whipped and made all these clay bricks, and it took a, a, a Moses to deliver you. All right, okay, that's not bondage. Sorry, I, I must have missed that one. And, and, and what about to, um, you know, the Philistines and to the Midianites and to the, all the other ites that you find in the book of Judges? You weren't in bondage there. They didn't steal your corn and your women and your families. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, must have missed that one. You weren't in bondage to Persia, you weren't in bondage to Babylon. I forgot that Daniel, he wasn't in bondage when they took him from his family and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego changed their names and all that. You're, you're, you're right, that's not bondage. I apologize. Jesus probably said that because Jesus could be sarcastic when he wanted to. He said, no, I'm, I'm sorry. You didn't know that. He said, but, but tell you what, if you've never been in bondage that way, you are this because Jesus went on to say, whosoever committeth sin is a servant. Of sin. Even if you've never been in bondage, then you are in bondage because of sin. But he went on to say, if the son, that, that the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. See, freedom is, is, a, is a very interesting thing. There's not a lot of freedom in this world today. We're, we, we, we're a pretty blessed nation, and I, I realize that. Fortunately, it seems like we're on a downward slope, and I don't necessarily like the direction on a whole that things are going, but not, not to just simply make this a, a, a class of U.S. government. But let me just remind you that there is this thing called the Bill of Rights. It was the, the, ten, the, the first ten amendments that they tacked on to that Declaration of Independence. Those Bill of Rights, and, and they've added other ones to it, but let me just go those first. What this was was a declaration of the rights you have as a citizen of the United States. The right that, amendment number one, the right that Congress should make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting free speech thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. Amendment two, the well, that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state and the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Amendment 3, that no soldier shall be in the time of peace quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor even in time of war, but in a manner prescribed by law. You can't have a soldier just knock on your door and say, I'm taking over. Or, or amendment number 4, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable seizures and searches, and no warrants can be issued without uh, probable cause. Number five, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a pre presentment or indictment of a grand jury. You can't just uh, get thrown in jail and all of a sudden the judge just say you're guilty. There's a trial you give. Number six, that in all criminal prosecutions you have the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state. 
and district wherein the crime has been committed. Amendment number seven, in suits of common law where the value of controversy shall exceed $20, the right of jury shall be preserved. And no fact tried by a jury, jury shall otherwise be reexamined by any court of the United States. Number eight, you no excessive bail shall be required or excessive fines imposed or cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Amendment uh, seven, no, nine, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. In Amendment ten, the power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states or reserved to the states respectively and to the people. Again, I'm not just trying to bore you with our history and with what it means to be an American, but those are rights we have because we are a citizen of the United States. If you're not a citizen of the United States, not all of those rights affect you. There's another right that you've probably heard of. How many of you have heard this? You have the well, maybe don't raise your hand. You have the right to remain silent. <laughs> How about that? I'll say that right so that you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. All right, I'll make it easy. How many of you have seen it in a movie or you've read it in a book? There you go. That, that protects you a little bit. Some of you have heard it in other elements, but we won't go there. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to refuse to answer questions. Anything you say may be used against you in the court of law. You have the right to an attorney. And if you cannot afford one, one will be appointed to you. You have the right to answer. or you, If you decide to answer the questions without your attorney present, you still have the right to stop answering anytime you wish. Do you know these and understand these as your rights? Those are rights that you have. The court said that, 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 that any, any law enforcement has to put those rights and has to say those rights if you're going to be incarcerated for any length of time. It's rights that we have. Can I tell you, that's exactly what Paul was saying when he spoke up and said, I'm a free-born citizen of the government of Rome. What he meant was, I have rights in that nation. You can't whip me unless I've been convicted. In fact, you can't even imprison me unless I've been convicted. In fact, later on in Paul's life, I don't think it was right here, but later on in Paul's life, Paul... Uh, uh, he, he, he kind of played his trump card, if I could. He said, I have the right as a Roman citizen to appeal all the way to Caesar. And as you go through Paul's journey, he eventually got to Caesar. What am I trying to say is very simply this. I was listening to an old song. I don't know if any of you know it. I know, I'm sure you know the song, but it was sung by a group called the Sensational Nightingales. Any of you ever heard that old song, every promise in the book is mine? Every chapter, every verse, every line, all are blessings of his love divine. Every promise in his book is mine. Maybe it's a simple message on a July 4th weekend, but I want to tell somebody in this building, if you're a freeborn citizen of the kingdom of heaven, if you have done what Jesus said when he said you must be born again, born of the water and born of the spirit, there are rights that you have in the kingdom of God that nobody else can claim save those that are a freeborn citizen. I began to sit at my desk or, or rather my table this morning and I had my computer and I was typing up and I was wanting to listen to that song, Every Promise in the Book is Mine, and it was playing. And as YouTube is wont to do, when that video is done, it just kind of goes to the next video, and hopefully the next video is appropriate, and usually if you pick the right thing, it will be. 
the next song came on. Hallelujah, what a thought. Jesus full salvation brought. Victory, yes, victory. Let the powers of sin assail. Heaven's grace can never fail. Victory, yes, victory. Victory, yes, victory. Hallelujah, I am free. Jesus gives me victory. Oh, glory, glory. Hallelujah, he is all and all to me. And something began to well up inside of me. It was not just patriotism of being in a citizen or of a country, but to realize the blessings that I have to stand there and say, I am free, yes, free indeed. I've been bought with a price. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus. I've got a right in this nation. What rights do we have? What do you get? And I've, I've preached messages on this. What do you get when you get Jesus? But Let me tell you a few things that you have. Because you are a citizen of heaven, you have the right to call on the name of the Lord. Now, not everybody understands how important that is or how blessed that is. But when I have a need, when I come into a situation that I don't know how to get out of, I can put my cares on the Lord and I can call on him like old blind Bartimaeus did. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me when I don't know what to do, when I don't know where to go, when I don't know who to turn to. I have the right to invoke the name of Jesus. And at the name of Jesus... Things happen. No other name, the Bible says, in heaven among men whereby we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, sickness has to flee. That at the name of Jesus, my sins are removed. That by the name of Jesus in waters of baptism, I'm washed. That's the right that I have because I'm born free. I have the right. Now, now you, now I want you to listen carefully. I have the right to be forgiven of my sins. Now, now be very careful. We don't have a license to sin. Go read Romans. If you, if you somehow think you have a license to sin, go read Romans and let the Word of God speak to you. But as a sinner, there is a, a process of salvation that, that almost every service somewhere we, we, we talk about that. A sinner has to repent of their sins, which means to, first off, tell the Lord you're sorry for the dirty, rotten sinner you are, but to also have a desire inside of you to change. Repentance is twofold. I'm sorry for what I've done, and I'd like to not do that again. And then it requires the waters of baptism, the blood of Jesus, to be applied to your life so that your sins are washed away. And then there's an infilling of the Holy Ghost where His Spirit lives inside of you, and it and it it, it first off it evicts the 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 old spirit. It kills that old spirit. There's a a an old nature that must die, and a new nature that is born when you are born again. And that is what we call salvation. But Brother Harvey, if you've been saved and you sin, you slip up and you sin. The Bible says you don't have to be rebaptized. The Bible says there doesn't have to be another initial infilling of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says if you have sinned, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. What that means is as a citizen of this nation, if you sin, you can simply ask God forgive me and there is a right of forgiveness because of your citizenship. That's not a license to sin. 
Anybody that ever tries to use Jesus' grace as a doormat, you're going to find yourself in a dark place really quick. But I am so thankful that I have the right to be forgiven of my sins. Because I've been born free, I have the right to sing praises unto God. I can lift up holy hands. How many times behind this pulpit have I told you that it's not our righteousness, it's not our our good things, it's because God imputed unto us righteousness. I can stand before him clean, I can stand before him undefiled. Why? Because he gave me his righteousness and because of that I can come boldly before the throne of grace and I can worship him. That's a right I have because I was born free. I have a right to lay hands on the sick and believe that God can heal them. I have a right to, to the, the Bible says I can do, and in that I is you as well, you can do. The Bible says we have the right to do all things through Christ that's strengthening us. I have a right to the promises that are there in the Bible. I have the right that those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have a right in the word of God. Because I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm not not trying to, to, to brag. I'm not trying to put God in a box. I'm not trying to say that I deserve all of this. But there is some truth. In your citizenship. Through political things that are happening in our world today, there are people that say they don't, they no longer want the citizenship. And so they go and they denounce that citizenship. And they, there's a whole process they have to do, and they they declare their citizenship of the United States null and void. And then they go and they align themselves perhaps with another nation and they, they try to become a citizen there. But the problem is, once you've denounced that citizenship, you also denounce all the rights. There have been some that have found themselves kind of messed up. There's some that realize that they can't get back in the United States. The immigration laws are such that there's some things, some laws that are there and so they denounce the citizenship and now they no longer can get where the family is there's even some monetary things that can happen, you can lose finances in citizenships citizenship in heaven is an incredible thing because as I said earlier we're part of the kingdom here on earth but there's also a kingdom in heaven And your citizenship here on earth in the kingdom of heaven is going to be what allows you one day when that trumpet sounds to not even have to go through all the processes of that judgment. You can just simply allow the rapture to pick you up and it's going to set you right on a street of gold and you're going to walk in through a pearly gate because you're a citizen of heaven. If you ever denounce it, all those rights, they go out the window. There's a freedom we have, the right to call on the name of the Lord, the right to be forgiven of our sins, the right to praise Him, the right to pray for the sick and believe that God can heal, the right to those promises in the Bible because I was born free. Would you stand today?
I hope and pray that each person that I preach to today in this sanctuary, I hope and pray that you are a citizen of heaven. We don't carry passports for heaven. I don't, I don't ask you and we don't look at them when you come into church. You don't have to show those. The only passport that's required is have you repented of your sins. Have you been baptized in the precious name of Jesus Christ for the removal, the remission of your sins? And have you been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with that evidence of speaking with other tongues? That's the passport. But if you're here today and not all of that's been accomplished. If you're here today and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, then you're lacking one thing that's necessary for that citizenship in heaven. Because Jesus said, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. That's being born again. So today, this message is twofold. It's to remind those that are in that citizenship the rights that you have because you're born free. But it's also to push another that says, you know what? I'd like to make that calling an election sure. I'd like to get that passport. I'd like to make sure all my documents are in order. I'd like to be able to have everything right so that I can step into the heaven when he so calls me home. So I invite you as we begin to sing, I invite you to close your eyes. I'm going to open this altar. Maybe it's just for you to celebrate the fact that you're a child of God and you've been born free. Or maybe it's for you to come and say, Lord, what must I do to be saved? I invite you to come as we begin to sing in the precious name of Jesus.